KGPR's Voices and Views is sponsored by Wild Montana's Island Range Chapter, uniting and mobilizing communities to keep Montana wild. Learn more at wildmontana.org forward slash IRC. Welcome to Voices and Views on Great Falls Public Radio, KGPR 89.9 FM. Today on the show, I have the honor of interviewing Susie McIntyre, the director of the Great Falls Public Library, and Molly Beck, the clinic director of the Great Falls Scottish Rite Childhood Language Disorders Clinic and the chair of the Ballot Initiative Committee for the Great Falls Public Library. Ladies, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having us. Thanks for having us. So let's jump right in. Susie, when are the ballots going to go out for the initiative and when do we need to have them in the election? There's going to be a special election for the library mill levy on June 6th. The ballots will be mailed on May 17th. So um, if it looks like we might have a poll plus absentee ballots. So if you want to vote by um, by poll, then you will go in and vote on June 6th. And um, if you have an absentee ballot, you need to get it back by June 6th, which means not postmarked, but in the actual office by June 6th. So if it's June 4th and you haven't mailed it, take it on down to the elections office or to the expo park and make sure you get it handed in because we really want everyone's voice to be heard. Absolutely. So let's repeat those dates real quick. It's May 17th. Ballots will be mailed out. We're hoping that we'll do in person. And then also you need to have your ballots at the election office on June 6th. So if you don't have them postmarked by June 4th, you got to take it in in person. Right. So if you're already registered to be uh, an absentee, always um voter, your ballot will come by mail. Um, If you are not sure if you're signed up to be an absentee voter, please call the elections office and check that so you can know whether you're going to vote in person or by mail. Perfect. So we have seen a lot of community interest in this, which I think is wonderful to see. The Great Falls Public Library is a foundation of our community. And Susie, I, I want you to lay out for us Just in very clear terms, you know, what the library provides. Let's start there. You know, why is the Great Falls Library important to our community? Well, the library, I believe, is foundational for democracy. Um, We help everyone uh, have access to the information and resources that they need to function. We are living in the information age. And so access to information, access to the Internet, access to data is really essential. The library has over 120,000 items in our physical collection that you can check out. We also have public computers and Wi-Fi and printing and notarization and proctoring and um, programs. Um, We do a lot of early childhood education with our story times and our toddler times and our special programs and summer reading. We have um, Tax Help Montana uh, that comes every year and helps people Uh, fill out their taxes. We have a community paramedic that um, volunteers to come down twice a month. We have a healthcare navigator that comes once a month that can help people sign up for insurance. Um, And it's a lovely place if you want to come and study and read and um, connect with people. We have adult programming. Uh, We recently had a fantastic educational program on fentanyl. We also had a recent fantastic program about Montana history with Tom Minkler and Ken Robeson. And uh, so we do a lot to educate the community, to connect the community, and to provide community space. Another thing that we do is um, we have a community art space, and we rotate who is displaying their art at the library. Right now, it's Great Falls Public School students for March and April. Um, So in May, when people are going to listen to this, we will have a new art in and everybody should come look at it. 
It's it's terrific. And I mean, it's truly, you know, mind boggling how much the library is able to do with quite limited resources. So could you let our listeners know, you know, where does the Great Falls Library stack up relative to other Montana cities in terms of per capita funding? Not well, not well. The average funding for um, libraries serving larger communities, um, they're they're funded at $32 per capita. And right now, Great Falls Public Library is funded at $19 per capita. So we're called the Great Falls Public Library, and we love our name, but we actually serve all of this, all of the people that live in Cascade County. So if you live in Cascade County, you can get a library card for free. The bookmobile goes out to Hooderite Colonies, Vaughn, Alm, Sun River, um, Belt, Cascade. We, we go all over, and we're really here to serve everyone in the county. So we serve all 80,000-plus people that live here. Absolutely. And so I just want to reiterate, average is $32.00. We currently receive 19 is what the library is receiving on a per capita basis. Right. So the the library is the lowest funded of all the li- large public libraries in the state of Montana. So in, unfortunately, when we look at the statistics, our, um, our community is not getting the library services it deserves. Um, we're open fewer hours. We have less staff. Um, we have fewer checkouts. We have... Um, fewer programs, we have fewer services for early literacy, um, and our community deserves better. And that's why the library board voted to ask this, um, the voters of Great Falls, to determine what level of library service they want. Absolutely. And so can you tell us, give us a picture of what the mill levy would allow the library to do? The library mill levy um, would do a couple, would do quite a few things, um, and you know to to educate on the pros and the cons. Um, if the library mill levy passes, um, property taxes will go up. For every a hundred thousand dollars that your home is worth, it will go up by twenty dollars and twenty five cents per year. So if you have a two hundred thousand dollar house, that'll be forty dollars and fifty cents, and then we'll trust that the smart. Um, public radio listeners can do that math. So, um, and then if the library mill levy doesn't pass, your property taxes will not go up by that amount. Um, If it passes, we will be able to continue and expand our early childhood literacy programs. Um, Right now we have two people that serve zero to 18, um, and that is really hard to cover all of those. Currently we're only having one story time a week, um, and many libraries have many more than those. Um, We have one toddler time a week um, and we would really like to do more. Um, Prior to COVID, we had a volunteer program where we provided homebound services to people. Post-COVID, that program has closed. We want to restart that and, and expand it and make sure all of our seniors and people with disabilities have access to the reading and recreational resources that they need. Um, We also need to expand our computer and technology training classes. If we learned anything in COVID, we learned that the digital divide is real and that people need internet access. Um, During shelter in place, we pushed our Wi-Fi out um, and posted our our, um, password everywhere. And during those weeks when we were closed, over 2,000 individuals logged onto our Wi-Fi. They were parked in the parking lot. They were sitting on the sidewalk in front of the library because they needed that access. We have an average of over 8,000 uses of our public computers and our Wi-Fi and our children's computers per month. Um, I know a lot of people have smartphones and they use those, but if you've ever tried to apply for a passport or sign up for social security or do your taxes, it's really hard to do on a phone. And not everybody has computers. Not everybody has printers. So we, we want to expand our ability to provide technology services. We currently check out hotspots, and there's a wait list of about 30 people right now just waiting for a hotspot. So if the mill levy passes, we'll be able to increase our computer and technology classes, especially looking at helping job seekers. Um, We also want to start really doing programming for teens. We currently don't have much. We want to do college readiness with ACT and SAT prep and, you know, just adulting classes. You know, how do you do a budget? How do you sign up um, to learn a trade? How do you do these different things? And in addition to those increased 
services, we want to expand our hours and be open seven days a week. Um, we were at one point open seven days a week, and um, right now we're open six. Um, we also want to expand our bookmobile service. The community did a fantastic job helping us raise the $200 plus to buy the bookmobile, but we only run it three days a week because we do not have enough staff to be out in the community. So if the mill levy passes, we'll go to more daycares, we'll go to more assisted living places, we'll just be out in the community more. And just to interject, what exactly is in the bookmobile? In the bookmobile, we have books and CDs. And um, the great thing about bookmobile service is you can actually get online uh, to our website and you can see our whole collection and you can place holds on anything you want and we'll bring them to you. So if you live in Belt or Vaughan or Sun River or at one of the Hooderite colonies and you want something, you just place a hold and we will bring it out and you can check it out. You can also just come onto the bookmobile and look at the array of materials that we have. We have about 4,000 items on the bookmobile that you can check out. Um, and uh, it also has Wi-Fi and uh, fantastic staff. Jesse Domnanovich is an amazing human who learns about what people like and curates the collection to make sure she's bringing people what they need. And now, what is the current circuit that you guys run? Um, off the top of my head, I don't know it, uh, when we go which places, but we basically make stops twice a month at all of our stop places, um, and our whole schedule is online. Um, it changes a little bit during the summer because we don't go to the schools, um, but we, we go out to all seven Hooderite colonies, most of the small towns in, um, in Cascade County, and then several assisted living places and daycares within the city. Wow, that is really impressive because you do think of people that are in town don't understand the isolation that especially if you're on a Hooderite colony or assisted living facility and that that's your only access, right? right? And a lot of those in the assisted living, they're generally elderly people and they're not conversant in, you know, finding things online, right? They're still right. used to the the bound book. So we would double our bookmobile service if the, if the mill levy passes. Um, we also want to address library safety. Um, the, we've, we've heard some uh, concerns that some people don't feel as safe coming to the library as we want them to. So in if the mill levy passes, we'll be hiring some security guards and um, increasing some of our partnerships with um, uh, the mental health center to, to ensure that we're helping people be safe at the library, follow the patron behavior policy, and if they need services, getting them connected to services. We're not providing therapy at the library, but we're just helping people be their best selves and follow the patron behavior policy. Absolutely. And I, we talk a lot, uh, you know, I work at Alliance for Youth and it's a no wrong door, right? So right. that there are places in the community you come in and wherever you may enter, you can have access to all the services. It's not that they're being provided there, the clinical services, but that if you come into the library, I think it behooves us as a community knowing there are many people that come in, this may be the place they come for internet or what it, whatnot, that they can get linked into services when they come. Right. And we want everyone to feel welcome um, at the at the library so that that moms and dads feel safe bringing their kiddos and elderly people feel safe coming even when it's dark. And so we want to really um, up our presence of, of staff so that people um, know that they're welcome at the library. And, and I do want to follow a little bit on that with perception and reality. So generally speaking, the, the library is a very quiet, safe place. I mean, this is not like there are regularly disturbances, right? The library is a quiet, safe place. We do call um, dispatch. We're, one, we're in the top 10 of places that call dispatch um, because we do have some people. And the, the truth is, is that Great Falls has some problems um, with people who are unhoused, with people who have addictions, with people who have mental health um, issues. And the library is a warm, safe space. And so like um, libraries in urban centers across the United States, we're a place where sometimes those problems surface. And library staff do their very best to enforce our patron behavior policy and ensure that people follow it. But sometimes that means we have to call uh, for law enforcement backup. 100%. But I think the, the one that I'm trying to tease out is that patrons 
are are not accosted at the correct. library. Correct. We are we are a very safe place for you to be. Um, there are some people who feel um, when they see people who look different from them, um, they feel unsafe. And so having a security presence makes them feel more safe. So that's what we're looking to do. Absolutely. Yeah, no, it's kind of threading the needle, right? That it's right. like it is, you know, the people's kind of come together. And I think that's good, right? Is right. seeing all walks of life in one place, you know, and we can all come together around learning. But by, you know, the same uh, token, it, it's important that people perceive themselves as being safe. But I do want to drive home that in reality, right, the library is a safe place for everyone. The library is a safe place for everyone. And we are welcoming to everyone. Um, there are some people um, who have concerns about people who look different from them. And so we want to make sure that everyone feels like even though there are people that are different from them, they're still in a safe place. A absolutely. And so I'm a big believer that uh, what you talk about that, you know, ignorance, you know, breeds contempt. Right. And I think it's a it's a tough one to, to walk that. Right. That I think being a, a public library. Right. It's this is our community, right? And we reflect it back to you. And so I, I hope that people that come in and see someone that's different than them, and it may make them uncomfortable, can also kind of unpack why that is. And, and it could be a learning experience instead of something that they find uh, fear-inducing. Yes. And I think one of the great things about the library is it's one of the few places where socioeconomic statuses mix. You know, we tend to be very segregated in our communities. We tend to, you know, go to our certain churches and our certain grocery stores and our certain neighborhoods. And at the library, you can have some of the most wealthy people in Great Falls coming in to look at art and to check out books and um, also some of the most impoverished people. And it's great for those people to be in the same space and to, to you know, we are the, the living room of our community and we're a place where we can grow connection. And we want to, to help everybody get access to the resources and services they need and to connect with the community. 100%. And so, you know, there's been a lot of books that have come out in the last 10 years or so. Our Kids is one that, that comes to mind uh, by Robert Putnam. But that look at, compared to, say, like 1950, right? And this was in a Rust Belt town that he grew up in, where you had doctors and, you know, mechanics all on the same block. To your point, there are very few places uh, in the community where people of different economic backgrounds mix. And I think it's notable that we want to foster that and preserve the library as one of those places. I really believe as a librarian that learning about different cultures, different ways of living, different families, that enriches us and is a great boon to, to us as a community. It helps us all be safer and more connected. 100%. So the, the, the last one, I want to make sure we get all the benefits in there. All right. So all the benefits, improving library safety, expanding our hours, expanding bookmobile service, those are all things that will, um, that will happen if the mill levy passes. If the mill levy doesn't pass, it will not be status quo. So our costs have been going up um, very steeply. And our revenue has been um, growing only a small bit. A lot of our revenue sources are really flat. And so um, with the increases in costs for personnel and costs for electricity and costs for all the different things, if the mill levy doesn't pass, we will um, be reducing staff and we will be reducing services and we will be reducing hours. Most likely we will have to close on Mondays um, and we will have to reduce our adult programming and our children's programming and our early literacy services because we just will not have the staff in order to be able to do that. So if the mill levy fails, um, your taxes will not go up, but your library services will be reduced. And one notable thing that on funding side, right, it is with the mill levy, if it does not pass, we would fail to meet the Montana Public Library standards, correct? Right, and yep, we would disqualify is... us from state library funding. Right. The the Montana State Public Library standards require that a library of our size be open at least fifty hours a week. Um, and if the mill levy doesn't pass, there just is really no way we're going to be able to meet that standard. Um, so we will be looking at losing our per capita funding, which is about thirty thousand dollars a year. Absolutely, and so I I think. Uh, 
one thing that I want you to also reinforce that I think you've spoken to very eloquently um, is the values that underline the public library and and sort of, you know, how we are when we, you know, make our decision on the, the mill levy expressing what, you know, what our values are, because I've heard you talk about them and I think that we really need to reflect on those. Well, I am passionate about the library. I'm passionate about reading, um, but I'm not passionate about those things just because I'm a librarian. I'm passionate about those things because I'm a Great Falls girl. I was born and raised here. I love this community. I live in this community, and I want this community to be great. And for me, a great community is educated and informed and connected, and everybody has the resources they need to thrive. And the library can't do all of that by itself, but it is a giant piece of that. And if we want to have a thriving community, I believe the library needs to be funded so that we can have um, play our role in that. Absolutely. And so can you break down for our listeners, where would the funding go from the mills? So it's increasing the mills by 15 mills, right? Right. And so where would all where would that funding go like exactly in kind of budget items? So we would um, our budget would increase from 1.5 million to about 2.7 million. We currently receive a $350,000 subsidy from the general fund. If the mill levy passes, that will go away and the city will have $350,000 to invest in something else such as public safety, parks, um, other needed services. So if if our budget increases, um, the majority of the funding will go to staffing. We will increase staff significantly in order to be open the seven days a week and to expand our programs and services. Uh, we will also spend it on things like electricity and <laughs> um, more materials and services, our internal services charges, which are how we, you know, human resources and invoicing, those will go up because we will have more staff. So uh, the vast majority of the additional funds will go to staffing, um, but some of our other costs will also increase. And all of that information is available and estimated budget is on our website at greatfallslibrary.org. Just click about us and then click on the mill levy. Yeah, I really love how transparent you guys have been through the whole process and just very matter of fact. And if, if you would, I, I think our listeners would like to know the the actual staff that we're going to have, because I think, you know, we can have a, a tendency as taxpayers, right, to be kind of uh, penny wise and pound foolish, right, that you talk about the digital divide and it is really an economic imperative that we are digitally conversant as a community. And I, I look at the the list of staff that you'd be able to add, and it really is focusing on having us have a community that is able to utilize uh, technology. Right. So we would um, increase our youth services staff, um, add one full-time and one part-time youth services staff. We would increase our public services staff. Those are the people that work the circulation desk and work the reference desk and help you find all your things. We would get an additional part-time bookmobile driver to be able to run the bookmobile six days a week. We'd get an assistant library director uh, so that we would have enough management to be open seven days a week. Um, we would get a, a communication specialist, a PR person, to help us get out information. That would be a part-time position. We would get a full-time community engagement person to do adult programming, um, foster relationships with community partners, make sure that we're able to, you know, be part of all sorts of different community events, do better partnering with lifelong learning here at Great Falls College MSU, um, better partnering with job service, all those different sorts of things. We would get a second IT person. Right now, the library has over 70 computers and a, a huge network, and we have one IT person who also answers the phone eight hours a day, eight hours a week. <laughs> so she is very, very busy, and our system will really needs another um, IT person. And then um, finally, we would get the two additional security guards, the two new security guards. Um, so that would that's 
a lot of new staff. And, and absolutely. And I think that, you know, you, you hear it right there, right? That do we want to have a community that has people that are fulfilling those roles that are going to have a major impact on our youth, right? Our ability to use technology, our ability to access uh, the library, right? Just having hours open and to feel safe, right? I mean, I think that's that's front and center, right? When you think about what is before us. And, and something that I also want to touch on is your role at the library. I, I think there's a tendency among at least segments of the population to see government as as kind of cosseted folks that are, you know, sitting in an office and uh, inefficient in for, you know, lack. That's the clear term that people would use. So what I have heard from listening to you is the multitude of roles that you take on. And it's almost unbelievable. And I just think it's good for our listeners to hear that, to know that you very much so understand that taxpayers work hard, that you are in the trenches every day doing a, a list of tasks that just blew my mind. Right. I am the library director um, right now um, because of budget issues. We don't have a PR or adult programming person, so my admin assistant and I are doing both of, doing those jobs. Um, plus, I serve on the, either the reference desk or the circulation desk five to 12 hours a week. So um, we're very busy. All of our managers, all of our people, I think only our custodians do not serve time on um, serving patrons on the circulation desk and the, um, the phones or the reference desk. And so I will say, it, there's an inefficiency to being short-staffed, right? That we have folks that are very talented, that are highly educated, and we're having to have them answer the phone, right? And right. so I do think that our community should know that it would also allow us to better utilize the current staff. Absolutely. I mean, you don't hire an engineer and then have them sweep the floor for... Um, for a significant portion of their time. And um, we have master's level librarians, we have highly skilled IT people um, who we are we are all pitching in and doing what we can just to keep the doors open the minimum number of hours a week that we need to. And, and that's great. I'm super proud of my team, but we could do better and we can serve the community better. And you know, having our IT person be able to provide technology classes and ensuring that we have hotspots and laptops to check out is a much better use of her extremely talented skills than it is to have her answering the phone. Absolutely. So, so we hope that everyone will understand that we're not complaining, but we just really want to provide better service. Yeah. And I think those are fact-based, right? If you have a person that has a master's degree answering a phone, that it doesn't take a, a genius to realize that that's an inefficient use of human talent. Correct. So I want to pivot here and and bring you in, Molly. Mm -hmm. And I appreciate you patiently uh, waiting because it's we kind of have it segmented into you know Susie giving us the the facts and then Molly um, kind of talking about your experience and why you know you support the mill levy. And so before we delve into the the kind of levy itself, I, I really try with this show to push back against what I have coined a culture of contempt in our country where people simply hear a little snippet on social media, something in the news, and they make broad conclusions about who people are, what their values are that are simply unfounded. And so with all of my guests, and I know, Susie, I've done this with you in the yes. past, I like to learn a little bit about their background and, and the experiences that they've had that have inculcated their values so that our listeners understand you it, to the extent possible in a short hour show, uh, you know, how you've come to your beliefs. Uh, and in this case, you know, why you're such a, a, a big supporter of the Mill Levy. So with that, Molly, can you tell us, you know, where were you born and what was childhood like? Mm -hmm. 
I grew up in Lewistown, a couple hours away, but um, we moved back to Great Falls in 2007, so we have been here quite a while. Um, I'm actually, my um, my dad's family grew up in Great Falls, and I am raising the fifth generation of my family that has lived in Great Falls. So we are committed, Great Falls family. This is our forever town. We love Great Falls. Um and with my work, I am the clinic director for the Great Falls Scottish White Language Disorders Clinic. And my job is really focused on making sure that our youngest learners in town um, can speak and use language and are ready for school. Um, and that is a big concern in our city right now that we have a lot of young learners that are not ready for school. And that was really exacerbated by COVID. Um, so I am highly involved in early language um, and literacy. Um, another part of my work in previous to the Scottish Rite, um, I worked in adult rehab. And so I've worked with a lot of people who've had brain injuries and strokes or dementia and just um, general aging. And um, I think kind of an underappreciated resource with a library is addressing the social isolation and the digital divide with our seniors and homebound. Um, and, and they're not as, as cute and adorable as, um, you know, as maybe kids story hour, but those needs are real. And there's a lot of significant health impacts from social isolation with our seniors in town. 100%. And so to give our listeners an understanding, they call it the silver tsunami, what's going to be coming down uh, demographically in the United States. So we we heard of the baby boom. We all are familiar with that. Well, you know, the boom didn't have a trough per se, right? But birth rates did decline. And so we are going to very soon, they're, they're retiring, right? But they're going to move into that period where they need more assisted living, right? Where they're starting to really be isolated. And we're going to have far fewer caregivers, right? There's going to be far fewer people uh, that are in the labor force to work with them. And I think it really heightens the importance of us kind of bulking up our uh, public services to be able to appropriately serve folks that are going to be uh, really absent public services, very isolated. Mm -hmm. And I think with the library, um, the, the people that are most impacted by library services are the very quiet voices and often the ones that aren't the voters. And so really our responsibility as a community is to support those quiet voices and the non-voices that are really impacted by those services. Our responsibility as a community is to support our library services so that our library can really serve our community. 100%. So... Let's get right to it with you are the chair of the committee supporting mm -hmm. uh, the ballot initiative to to have the 15 mills. Give the the pitch. Why? Why do we pass the mill? We do not take lightly that these are really difficult economic times. All bills are going up. Um, however, there is never a better time to have a moderate investment in public library services than when we are having challenging economic times. Of all the things that you pay taxes on, if you utilize the public library, it truly is a cost savings for you um, with so many resources available. I always joke that I, they would be hard pressed to out-tax me for my library use, but my use is, is sort of irrelevant. What I really value about the library is those services for those young families that I see at the clinic. And I am always sending families to the library for um, story time and for sign language DVDs and for their resource kits. Um, and that is not only um, really impactful for those kids and their early language learning, that is really important for connecting families to other families, particularly coming out of COVID when we have been so isolated um, that there's a lot of, of young families that do not have the connections that they need and they do not know the resources that are in town and there's just not enough quality early childhood 
services and programming in town that has hours that are accessible to a variety of families and working hours with low to no cost. Um, the United Way did a survey last year, and of the respondents, only 19% of the respondents felt that there was adequate early childhood readiness services in our town, um, which is kind of horrifying for a, a community of our size. And like you say, there are economic costs of that when we are then sending kids into our school system that are not ready for learning, there is a direct cost of that. Absolutely, and I don't want to go too far down a rabbit hole right. on on child brain development, but just quickly to so the listeners understand how important that you know first three years is. Can you just give I would say like a ten thousand foot level of what is going on that will stay with or you know kind of hurt you and hold mm-hmm. you back the rest of your life if we don't have that zero to three you know really strong. Mm-hmm. Um, when those kids, um, if they have deficit areas going into their kindergarten year, um, though, if there's a deficit that needs to be remediated, we can, um, help them with that in a matter of like months to years. But if you are to wait until that deficit, um, continues to grow by fourth grade, like it can take another five years to, um, to improve those reading levels or any deficit skills. Um, That critical early language learning, which language learning is the foundation for all learning. So all learning is language-based. So you are learning language and then using language for learning. Um, There is a very tight window between that birth to five where, you know, probably 90% of your language learning happens. and so we we need to, we can't wait until kindergarten. And that's what the library mm-hmm. is going to be focusing on with this funds, right? Mm-hmm. In part. Yes, you know, and I was at a meeting with United Way and other community partners talking about some of these uh, deficits in our community for early childhood um, learning and young families and talking about, you know, programs and how to connect people with resources and activities and really like it's so silly because none of that makes sense to invent these new wheels if we're not funding our public library that is perfectly situated that has the resources that has the talented professionals to to provide those services um free of cost free of charge and you know with hours that are available for a variety of working schedules Absolutely. There is this element of why would we build new infrastructure, you know, renovate buildings, whatever it might take Mm -hmm. when we have an existing community hub that just needs funding. And then it's the best situated to take on that mission. Mm -hmm. One quote that I heard about libraries that has really stuck with me is that libraries connect people to information and people to people. Um, And really, when we have access, when our community has access to the resources and reading materials that it needs, it improves everyone's quality of life. And um, it is, it's hard economic times. Um, This is a moderate investment with kind of a big payoff for our community. And we are not asking for extravagant funding. Like, we just want to be average. Like, let's bring it up to average. Um, and, And really, there's no fat to trim. The, the fat has been trimmed. Um, a, a failed levy is dramatically reduced services, and um, that is really devastating. And so I, I think, listeners, you know, it, it always helps to kind of be able to put a face, get a story uh, about, you know, how the library is impacting people. And and I know we, we recently, uh, there was a story on KRTV about the juvenile detention center and some of the programs you have there. And I was wondering, either of you take that on, but it's pretty heartwarming to see, you know, how that is changing their lives. Well, I will take that on. Uh-huh. So the Juvenile Detention Center, um, our youth services librarian worked with them, worked with the JDC for about two years to overcome all the hurdles of privacy protection and um the procedures and things to be able to have those um, students, those kids, get access to library materials. And a couple months ago, they checked out their 1,000th and first book. 
Um, so some of our young kids who are involved with the legal system um, don't read, can't read, can't read at reading level. And what we found and what is backed up by the research is introducing them to a range of materials and letting them pick what they liked, letting them read at their own pace. They fell in love with stories and they fell in love with reading. And now that's going to be transformational for their lives going forward. They are going to be empowered to learn about the world, to learn about themselves, and to succeed in college or in adulting. The best thing we can do for struggling students is help them learn to love to read. 100%. I mean, as you say, uh, the way we learn, right, is through language, whether it's, you know, written mm -hmm. or spoken. And so if you can give them a love for it, then we don't have to, you know, try to kind of coax them along that they naturally do it, right? And I think intrinsic rewards, right, they work. That's how most of society functions. And I just think it's really cool that uh, a group of kids that has been hard to reach, clearly, right, and and has, uh, you know, kind of pushed boundaries, that when you give them some autonomy and choice, that they really... Uh, you know, shine. One thing that we talk about at the library is the concepts of um, books and movies and CDs giving us both mirrors and windows. And everyone needs those. Uh, um, a mirror is when you read a book or uh, experience a story that reflects back to you that your experience is not singular. Like you read a book and you're a single mom and you read something about another single mom and how she got through and you see, feel seen, you feel like you're not alone, you get inspired by somebody else. And a window is when you can look into the life of somebody else. So I am never going to be uh, an indigenous American living on a reservation, but I can read um, own voices stories about that and have a better understanding of of what people experience. I can read own voices stories about growing up in New York or growing up in California. And if we want to have a community and a country that can get past yelling at each other and learn how to understand each other, being able to read a variety of stories um, is really important. And I think that listening to some of the, the kids at the JDC talk, um, some of the first books they read were really rough stories. And, um, but it made them feel seen that somebody else has experienced this. Somebody else has been involved with law enforcement and they were able to overcome. And that is just inspiring. 100%. And so I I, I want to give you guys both, uh, I guess this would be Molly, mm -hmm. and, and you've addressed these somewhat, um, but I just directly, like, in the community, you know, are there some uh, points that you're hearing over and over again in terms of why uh, people who may not support it, uh, you know, what their kind of issues are with it, and, and then, you know, kind of how would you respond to those? Um, well, like Susie said, um, Libraries are here for everyone and to reflect everyone's life and experience and to serve everyone in our community. And um, everyone has a different experience in their community and to what degree um, they hold their own values very tightly. Um, and we just really hope that um, we can live in a community where um, everyone is reflected and welcome in the library. Um, there's a lot of things in this world to fight about. Um, but if we can just uh, have a place where you can come and everyone is welcome, everyone can find something that they enjoy and the services that they need, there'll be something uh, there'll be something new to fight about. Absolutely. And I, I want to kind of address this head on. And, and, and this would be in terms of I know there's been some concern about content, right? And and I do think, you know, the LGBTQ content has come up, right? And uh, something that I can say from a legal background, right? One, there is the idea of like viewpoint discrimination, right? Is, is something that's not, uh, it's actually very much so frowned upon. Uh, it is a public institution. But also, I would hope that you could kind of, in a reaching out way, uh, address people that may have concerns about that. 
Well, the <laughs> the library supports and protects the right of every family to decide what is appropriate for them to read and to view. So we do not feel it is our place to say to anyone in the community what they can and cannot read. We work very hard to curate a collection for all of our community. Um, and we have a range of people in our community. There are a lot of Christian people in our community, and we have a robust collection of Christian fiction, of theology, of um, Christian inspirational things that is a very important to us. We um, try to build that collection. We talk to people all the time about what they're reading and what they want to read. That's very important. There are also people of other religions in our community. We make sure that we have Jewish books and Muslim books and Wicca books and um, books about atheism because every person in our community deserves to see themselves reflected in the collection. And with LGBTQ materials, we have people that reflect, we have materials that reflect the moral view of some of our Christian citizens who feel that LGBTQ is morally wrong. We have books in the collection that reflect that viewpoint. We also have books in our collection that reflect that LGBTQ people should be embraced and accepted. We have that range of materials, and we believe that it is important that they all be reflected and that people decide what they want to, to, to read. We have Mein Kampf in the, in the library. That is a terrible book that has horrendous values in it, but it's important historically, and it's important that we understand that. So we really feel that each parent gets to decide what is right for their family, but not what is right for everybody else's family. And I, that, I think we can all get behind the concept of it. It's, it's liberty at root, right? Is that I don't impose my values on you and you don't impose your values on me. And we all, you know, get along. Uh, and I think that's very uh, helpful to listeners because I do think uh, there's probably some misinformation, right? I think uh, I will hear people that there's an agenda, right? And it's 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 not an agenda unless you cherry pick, right, and only see what you want to see and ignore the fact that, you know, if they got a whole buffet, right, and it includes everything, it includes things you don't like, things you do like, that's not an agenda. That's being open to all. Right after I became interim director, um, there was a, a big forum about our youth and um, there was a play converge that came out of that forum and there were some leading issues that kids talked about that they, that concerned them they talked about bullying they talked about homelessness they talked about addiction and they talked about lgbtq members of youth being included and so we as a library try to be data driven and try to reflect what our community needs so we said, what can we do about bullying? Let's, let's look at that. What we need to learn more about the unhoused. So I know now go to the continuum of care um, committee. We're involved in that to try to see what we can do to serve people who are unhoused and make sure our teens have services. We work with Alliance for Youth to make sure that those kids have resources. And we make sure that we want to ensure that LGBTQ kids and families feel welcome at the library. We do not do that to make Christian people not feel welcome. We want Christian people to feel welcome, but we know, you know, there's the there's the parable where the the son that has been gone and um, in, in the Bible, the son that has been gone and he returns and the father is so pleased because the son has returned and wants them to feel welcome. And for us at the library, when we heard that this segment of our community was not feeling welcome, we felt like it was our responsibility to ensure that we were making effort to make them feel welcome. And so we understand that different people have different moral values and we support that. Absolutely. Parents, be involved with your children. Read to your little ones. Talk to about books and movies and culture with your school-age kids and your teens. Um, that's how we build strong adults and strong communities. So uh, I think that, that people who um, are morally offended or are having concerns about the collection at the library, I really feel that we agree on 99% of things. 
We love children. We love families. We want to protect them. And let's work together on those things. Um, And, you know, fighting about whether or not a a specific book belongs in the library. Um, I, I don't know how effective that is, but I really want everyone to feel welcome at the library. Yeah, and I think that that the focus should be on where we agree, right? If you you see this so often in our society where we all want the same thing, but we end up fighting each other because we don't get the whole slice, right? Mm-hmm. And and if we can all come together on, will you give our listeners? I love those four values. That so think about if you're someone that's on the the fence, right? Or you're someone that has uh, you know, has some moral qualms about titles, right? That what the library does bring, right? Right. We want an informed community. We want an educated community. We want a connected community. And we want a thriving community. And we want, you know, if you're concerned about your kids learning about different things, I would say the safest way for them to learn about something is to read a book about it and talk to you about it. Um that way you can have an informed discussion. Um, and information is not something to be afraid of, but something to be embraced. Absolutely. And that's from all perspectives. So I come from the, you know, the, you, you don't ban, right? It's it's more speech, right? If, you, if right. you disagree with something, you don't ban it. You give a an alternative, right? And it's, I, I what I'm hearing is you guys have all the alternatives. It's just... You, it's not our decision to guide people towards your particular uh, chosen alternative. Right. And when somebody comes in and wants help finding a book, we do what's called a reference interview. And I say, you know, what is it that you, what is it that you're looking for? Um, you know, how do you think your, what do you think your mom, do you think your mom's okay with you going up to the teen scene? If you really want this book, let's check with mom. Um, if you're, you know, five and you're looking for a dinosaur book, I'm going to give you a different one than if you're 15 looking for a dinosaur book. We really try to match the right material with the person by working with them about what they need. Absolutely. And so, Molly, I want to turn back to you. And what I want our listeners to understand is where do you kind of have this this fire for the library? You talked about old, young. Um, the person that, let's say, doesn't utilize the library, right, um, much, where is this relevant to them and something that they want to invest their tax dollars? Uh, I have always loved libraries um, and books and reading, but... Uh, being involved in this process with the Mill Levy and learning so much more about our library and libraries in general, I am like downright obsessed with libraries now and how lucky we are to have a library system available to us in the United States with um, the wide range, uh, the wide range of information and resources for everyone in our community. And something that I what I'm trying yeah. to tease yes. out is. Yeah. There are going to be costs if we don't invest in the library, and I, I'm hoping that you, can, our listeners, understand. So, for instance, let me let me look on the unhoused issue. Right, if people don't have the library to go to, you're going to have folks that are going to have to go to the ER. That's going to be what they're going to do because they're freezing. Right. I, I think that something that I've I've struggled with a lot, uh, and this is in my own work is there's uh, uh, they just see things as a line item, right? That it's the library. And if the library goes away, they don't see that that will stress other systems in our community that are already under stress and are not in many cases the appropriate intervention. They're high cost. And so I guess I'm trying to get at, you know, Tell me about what do you see with the unhoused, right? And and what are they able to access at the library? Because I think we need to know that if if this goes away, right, if it's reduced, it's not like we just poof and magic, it goes away. Oh, God. It, we're going to have to use other systems that are under stress. I know there's 60,000 calls last year to 911, right? How many of these, right, are things that if they just had a warm place and a computer and a friendly smile, they weren't in the call? 
Right. So I think that one thing that we need to understand is that we are all community, right? That the unhoused are part of our community. And if we, um, moving them from one place to another place doesn't solve the problem, um, putting them in jail is the most expensive way of dealing um, with with somebody who is having having issues. So the library serves as a warm place and a cool place um, in the in the heat of the summer. There's a great book a couple of years ago called Palaces for the People uh, that looks at the role that libraries play, and it's specifically one of the studies that it references is a heat wave in Chicago, and the neighborhoods regardless of socioeconomic status, so poor neighborhood, poor neighborhood, that had a local library branch experienced fewer deaths and fewer ER visits during the heat wave because people had a cool place to go and they were more connected. So the group of ladies that had a little knitting circle if one of them didn't come to the knitting circle, somebody else went and checked on them. And so having community connection where, where people are seen um, is really important. And the library is a piece of that. Um, so I believe when we're looking at community safety, building social infrastructure, a lot of people have heard of the term social capital, which is what we earn connecting to one another, but it's really hard to connect to one another without the infrastructure to do it. And so the library provides a place for people to connect, for people uh, to get the resources that they need, and then we're all safer. Um, I, I, I love and respect our police officers. I think that they do tremendous work for us, and they cannot keep us safe by, our, by themselves. We need to build community connection, help people be their best selves, um, get them the services they need if they're struggling, um, help them find jobs and skills and learn how to read. You know, those kids at the JDC that learned how to read, they are much less likely to reoffend. They're much more likely to be able to be productive members of our society going forward. Absolutely. And, you know, you couldn't have said it better that I, I think we need to all understand that there are efficient ways to tackle problems. There are less efficient ways. And we need to understand that if we choose to reduce kind of preventive services, right, we're going to help kids learn how to read. We're going to help them out in early childhood. We're going to make sure that that elderly person, right, has connection, right, which we all know leads to better health outcomes. If we don't invest in those, we're going to invest in reactive services that respond to crises. And just we all know that is expensive. So I do want to emphasize that, that don't forget that we don't, this is not in isolation. And that if the investment doesn't come to the library, there aren't costs that are going to pop up in other areas of our community. So we are running out of time. And I always want to just, you know, is there something I left? Uh, unasked, some, you know, kind of key point that you guys wanted to express or just kind of, you know, your last thoughts on on the, the library, the levy. I would encourage if you have any questions about the library, what is happening at the library, go down. Like this is your library, whether you, you know, want to pay that mill levy or not. But go down and just be at the library for a while and look around and see who is coming in, who is coming out, what is happening at the desk, um, what families are going into the children's area, which um, individuals are going up to use computers. And um, imagine, should the library have reduced services and not be there, where are those individuals going? Um, and then if you really are a library supporter, I need you to tell all your friends about how you're a library supporter and what the library has been like for you and your life and your youth and your now and your grandparents and your teenagers. Um, because people need to hear those stories and how the library is impacting our friends and our neighbors and what it's going to look like for us if those services are reduced. 
And if we do have a listener that wants to get involved, how do they reach out to you, to the committee? Mm-hmm. We have a Facebook page, Vote Yes on Libraries. We also have a website, vote for greatfallslibrary.org. Um, and that has information about um, certainly the Mill Levy information, which is also very nicely detailed on the public library website, um, and as well as the information that the committee is doing to make sure that everyone in Great Falls knows about the work of the library and knows the opportunity that we have on June 6th. I think that that's about as perfect of an ending as I could think of. Um, so there you have it. Uh, Susie McIntyre, the director of the Great Falls Public Library. Molly Beck, the chair of the Ballot Initiative Committee. Uh, and you've been listening to Voices and Views here on Great Falls Public Radio, KGPR 89.9 FM. Remember, May 17th, ballots go out. They need to be physically in the election office by June 6th. If you want more information, you can go to Facebook and check out... Vote Yes on Libraries. And then our website is voteyesgreatfallslibrary.org. Perfect. Susie, Molly, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thanks so much, Tom. Such a joy to talk to you. for listening. If you'd like more information about KGPR, please visit our website, kgpr.org, where you can find a link to donate, links to all of our other locally produced programming, and information about your local voice, KGPR Great Falls.